The Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. We actually like to begin three verses earlier than you're reading at Mark 1, 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it's written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with, clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Today I'd like to focus on two verses from that gospel reading, holding them a little bit in tension. The first, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the second, just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. You need to begin well. I was told that by my supervising teacher the first time I was ever a teaching assistant in a college classroom. You know, there's a dynamic of teaching college that I know some of you know well, where the one thing you don't need to have done is have taken a single education course on anything. And so I was a first-year MA student in comparative religion and had been contracted to be a TA for the large lecture class introduction in the New Testament. I was 23. Most of the students were older than me, as it was often juniors and seniors in the class. So by way of training, given I had no formal training, to lead these sections one day a week, the supervising teacher just said, you need to begin well. And also make it clear to these students that this isn't going to be an easy course. And he explained that first impressions really do matter, and that, given the realities of what college is, especially for undergrads with as few religion majors as we had, that if they get the tone and sense from you, you're the one who actually works with them, that you really don't need to do the reading and work in this class, they really won't. So, begin well. The trouble with advice like that 
is, it's nice to say begin well, but how? He was never very specific, and I didn't really have a very good idea. Well, I'll tell you, that very first class I taught when I was 23, that confusion came through. I had no idea what I was doing, and the students picked up on that very quickly. Because as I learned very quickly in teaching, the one thing you can't have is a lack of confidence. And at that age, I didn't know how to fake it. Not saying I ever do that now. The entire quarter, I never gained control of that class. Then I tried it again the next year and the next year, and I improved over time. But I always think of what Dr. Williams said. You have to begin well. And I say that because here in the Gospel of Mark, we have a beginning. And Jesus' baptism is the first scene in Mark that we have with Jesus in it. It's the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. See, in Mark, there's no birth narrative. We don't have the introduction of the baby Jesus who comes into this humble estate like we saw in the Gospel of Luke, where we saw the Savior of the world who comes as this vulnerable and weak baby. Instead, this is our introduction to Jesus, this baptism scene. And here in Mark, the introduction to Jesus has nothing to do with weakness or vulnerability. The first thing said directly about Jesus is about power. When John the Baptist says, the one who is more powerful than me is coming after me. This is going to be about a powerful figure. And then Jesus actually shows up and is baptized, and as he comes out of the water we discover John was right. This is a powerful figure. The heavens were torn apart, and the Spirit descends like a dove on him, and a voice comes forward saying, You are my Son, my Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is a figure of power, not of weakness. It's the beginning of the Gospel. Mark begins well. We know right from the start, this person is different. And that's really probably not too surprising for Mark, given what verse 1 said. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. Jesus is introduced as both Messiah, translated in Greek, Christ, and Son of God. So in some ways, we honestly aren't all that surprised at the baptism, that it's an act of power that establishes this person. But there might be something that does surprise us when this happens. When it says, He saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove. The heavens torn apart. So we expect Jesus to be Son of God and Messiah, but we might not have expected is how that was going to affect the world around him. The heavens torn apart. Notice that it does not say, the heavens were torn apart, the spirit descends, a voice comes out, and then after all of that drama is concluded, the heavens get sewn back up again, 
and are healed and we go back to what it was before. No, the heavens remain torn apart. It's not just that there is something different about who this new figure is, Jesus of Nazareth, but also there's something different about the very world around us. Part of what's changed is the world. This is the deep theology of the incarnation, God becoming human. The seeming dividing line between God being somewhere else and humans being down on earth is now completely and forever gone. The heavens have been torn apart. That verb, by the way, torn apart, only shows up one more time in the whole of the Gospel of Mark. At the crucifixion, when the curtain of the temple is torn in two. Once again, the division between God and humans, where the Holy of Holies was separated from all the other people, was torn apart. I think that moment of power, the moment of saying that God's doing something new and that all things have been torn apart, I suspect that sounds pretty good to our ears. It sounds like something we can take great comfort in. And I think, for the most part, we can. But I also think we ought to hold space and recognize how that can be challenging and scary. It's saying that the heavens, the structure of the world that we see around us, have been torn apart and not repaired. The idea that the world around us is consistent and that we can count on it in behaving in ways we can predict and understand, that too has been torn apart. We'll find as you read the rest of the gospel, many weren't so sure and weren't so sold on this Jesus and what he was doing in his ministry, and often not because of he's saying he's Messiah, but more of he's saying the world you thought you knew is changed now. They wanted the world to be the one they operated in comfortably. One in which they could know how God was going to work. They wanted God to remain separate from us most of the time, except for those moments when we wanted God to do something. And, and I want to emphasize, this was not good theology at any time, but people definitely thought of it, said, well, there's an easy pattern for that. When we want God to intervene, enter into the temple, offer a sacrifice, and then at that point, God can do something for us. And then when we don't want God to do anything, then just don't go into the temple, and then God won't interfere in your day-to-day life. Again, that wasn't good theology, But as you read the Hebrew Bible, you discover people thought that generation after generation. But now, the heavens have been torn apart. The dividing line between God and humans has been torn apart. We don't get to choose when God is working in our lives. Our comfort in the predictability of the world, of course, are 
were always and are always our own illusions anyway. But with this new thing, we recognize that those illusions are gone. We begin this gospel saying, the world is nothing we thought it was. And that something radically new is here. Sometimes, of course, I do wish that meant we had the comfort comfort of having a completely predictable world that we can count on and we can always know that even if the world's bad, that it's not chaotic. But that's not the God we have in the Gospel of Mark. We have God who tears the heavens apart, who in the incarnation of Christ emphasizes that God is always with us and the world isn't going to be what it was, nor necessarily what we might prefer. That God works in very surprising ways. We don't get the comfort of a life that's easy to understand. But what we do get is the power of a dynamic God in our lives. If we can get beyond that fear of not knowing, not understanding, not being able to predict what will happen then we can embrace the joy that we don't have to be able to predict our lives and the world around us. And we don't have to because of the action of Jesus. Here at Jesus' baptism, there at the cross, tearing the heavens apart. We don't have to know how to begin well, like my teacher always wanted, Because God's already begun well. That's the power of God who is with us. The God who at the incarnation became human and still remains human. The Spirit who descended and who still dwells among us. The voice who spoke to Jesus and who still speaks to us. That's the God who tears the heavens apart to be with us at all times. Thanks be to God. Amen.